Hey, this is Nathan Jenkins from Loon Mountain Ministry, and I want to thank you for checking out our podcast today. We welcome you to join us, the trees, the rocks, and all of creation as we worship our great God. Enjoy the message. James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Thank you, Christine. You guys may be seated. All right. What a great set of verses as we jump into James and talk about having joy in our sufferings. Woo! Uh, before I get into this, I just uh, want to start with a word of prayer um, and, uh, yeah, and then introduce uh, James. Lord, um, I just want to thank you for your word. I, I, I thank you that it, it grounds us. Um, it's our foundation um and uh and it it gives us an opportunity a chance um to know you to to truly know who you are um otherwise we would just be grasping at concepts of you that we couldn't maybe put words to um you know Romans says that we all uh, are without excuse because creation points to creator um uh, but lord uh because of your word we can um we can get an idea of what you want in us. I hope that means something to me. I hope that means something to us, that we can truly know you and that we can worship you uh, the way that you desire. You're good, Father, as we sang. We pray that uh, this, um, as, we get, as we jump into the book of James, that we would uh, be able to um, identify what it is that you're teaching us, how you want us to uh, to go and, and obey you and serve you and love you and be the light um, that you call us to be in the world. We pray that you'll do that. Um, open our hearts uh, and our ears to hear and understand uh, what you're going to teach us today. Uh, I pray that my words would not be in human wisdom of some sort, but rather um, rooted in, in the power that comes only from the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, um, about a month, it was a little over a month ago, as, as many of you guys know, um, the Jenkins family went through a pretty scary um, scenario. Maybe some of you guys remember uh, what it was like when you found out that Eunice was getting... Uh, taken in a helicopter to Dartmouth. Uh, they don't send helicopters um, for most incidences. And and, um, and so essentially uh, Eunice was at Loon um, snowboarding with a couple of friends. And um, in, it's, it's funny how you, know, you could be snowboarding or skiing your whole life. And, and it's funny how fragile life is because um, my wife has been snowboarding for so long, and um, and you you just 
slip in one simple little way and you hit your head just right and all of a sudden, you know, your life is in the balance. And uh, a humbling experience um, for those of us who enjoy, well, one, outdoor activities, but two, I mean, we live in a place, whether you're on skis or snowboards or you're just wandering around town, you know, the cold, the ice, like at any moment, any of us could slip and fall and and be in a situation like that. So, um, but uh, but yeah, in an instant, um, you know, it went from just a fun day riding at the hill to uh, Eunice being unconscious um, and uh, and having a seizure um, and a very scary moment. Um, and, you know, I don't know that I've I've ever experienced a phone call quite as scary as that one. Um, you know, it's just so many things that go through your mind. Um, so many things, uh, you know, wondering what could be. And, and essentially you start like saying, okay, what are your potential outcomes? And then, and then as, um, you know, as you get new updates, it's like, okay, I'm crossing out potential outcomes and crossing out potential outcomes. And um, I got to say, during this experience, you know, it, when you're in the moment, it's just like a whirlwind, you know, um, and you don't know what to experience. It's hard to uh, make sense out of what's happening. Um, so uh, so now I'm looking back and, and thinking, like, what, what just happened? And, and one of the things that um, I've found uh, to be really difficult, and I don't know about you guys, but I, I think it's difficult for most people, is that in moments like that, to consider it pure joy. Um, and, uh, you know, we're going to talk a little bit today about trials um, because James uh, is going to talk about trials. Um, you know, when I got that phone call, like I said, I wasn't leaping for joy. Um, now, if you know the rest of the story, as I was crossing out my potential not my potential outcomes, my wife's potential outcomes, but obviously that had a big effect on myself and my family. Um, we were crossing out potential outcomes. Uh, praise God, most of those potential outcomes were crossed out. Um, you know, she, you would go from like, she's, she might die to, okay, um, she might have brain damage. Okay, she doesn't have that. Okay, um, you know, maybe there's other injuries. Didn't have any other injuries. Um, essentially, we came out of the hospital less than 24 hours later in Dartmouth um, with a brain contusion, um, basically a very severe concussion, um, and uh, which has very real lasting effects. And uh, and truthfully, um, you know, my wife over this last month is is slowly getting better. But the thing you learn about head injuries is there's not really a, a nice, clean, and tidy timeline that um, you just kind of take things day by day and, and, and you pray and you, and you limit, you know, stimulation to the brain, um, you know, whether it's loud noises or it's bright lights or um, that kind of stuff. And, and hopefully, as time goes, the brain will heal. But truthfully, I'm still not really jumping for joy um, in the fact that, um, you know, there are real consequences um, to having a brain injury like that. Um, and it makes life harder, truthfully. It does. Um, 
with that said, I want to thank you guys. Um, we've had so much support from family. Um, we've had so much support from our church and our community at large. Um, so thank you. Thank you from the you know sincerest part of my heart and my wife's heart. Um, but yeah, joy in our trials, joy in our sufferings. Uh, let's start uh, as we get into the book of James um, with giving a little context. I think it's really important as you read your Bibles to uh, kind of go in three main steps um, in order to uh, get a get a good idea of what God is trying to communicate to us. Because if the first question you ask when you read your Bibles is, what does this mean to me? Chances are you're probably going to get it wrong, um, and it might even lead to some unhealthy uh, interpretations of what the Bible's teaching. That process, um, if you knew Bill Frazier, he would give you the stoplight illustration. I find it the simplest and easiest way to get a, a, a good idea of how to read our Bibles well. Uh, red is for observe. Um, and so when you're observing, you're looking at the surrounding context. Truthfully, we're 2,000 years removed from Jesus and his time. And so it's super important for us to get idea, an idea of what was going on in those days. You know, what was happening uh, 2,000 years ago? So we get an idea of the cultural context that we're looking at. Uh, but also, we're getting an idea of who's writing this. Um, who, who's communicating here? Because these are all letters written by human beings um, that we believe are inspired by God. Who's writing this? And to who are they writing? Um, and then what's the purpose? Like, what is it? What are we get, getting from the purpose of this? So, um, a couple things um, just about that. Uh, this is written by James. It's called James. Historically, the church has known it to be James. In the New Testament, there are three main figures named James. Uh, one, James, the brother of John, the son of Zebedee. Um, he was, I believe he was the first of all of the martyred uh, apostles in 44 AD. Um, we, uh, traditionally, this has not been attributed to that James, although he was probably the most prominent of the apostles named James. There was another James that was an apostle that we don't know a lot about, James, the son of Alphaeus. And then there was a third James. And this third James was not really in the picture very much throughout the Gospels and through Jesus' life. It was James, the brother of Jesus. And, uh, and the reason he wasn't really much in the picture was because uh, him and most of his family were not exactly, how do, how do I say this? They weren't running to, uh, to, like, to say that their brother was the Messiah. Um, I get hints of jo the story of Joseph and Joseph being like, oh, I had this dream that you guys were bowing down and worshiping me. And... Uh, Keep in mind, this is your brother telling you this. Um, I would imagine that they would have a hard time growing up next to their brother, believing, oh yeah, you're the Messiah. You're, you know, I, <laughs> I would imagine that has a lot to play into this. You see, even within uh, Jesus' life, that there was probably some level of confusion around from his family to what the heck Jesus was doing. Um, possibly even in, in a moment uh, 
wanting to have an intervention with Jesus. Um, so James wasn't exactly a fan of Jesus during, I mean, he was his brother, so he loved him and all that good stuff. But but he probably wasn't the biggest fan of Jesus in regards to you're the Messiah, I believe in you, I want to follow you. Um, and and my best indication, my best understanding, and many scholars' best understanding is that is that the resurrection of Jesus was really a turning point for James and some of uh, his siblings, um, because you see him not long after that uh, starting to show up with the apostles, with the followers of Jesus um, in those 50 days after, 40 or 50 days, I can't remember exactly, after Jesus rose from the dead before he went to heaven. So James, um, some other stuff we know about James. James was one of the earliest leaders of the church in Jerusalem, primarily a church to Jewish believers in Jesus because of the time in Jerusalem were mostly Jewish people, well, Jewish and Roman, um, but, uh, but he was primarily over a church of Jewish believers in Jesus. Um, we also know that, uh, that this was written to the 12 tribes, as you see in verse 1, uh, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. What it's referring to there is from Acts chapter 8, verse 1. Um, in Jerusalem, the church was starting to grow, but not in a sense like we think it. Not like Loon Mountain Ministries growing to these other ski resorts, because truthfully, we're pretty well accepted in our community and a lot of people, even if they're not Christian, like enjoy the stuff that Loon Mountain Ministry is doing, which is really cool. It's a cool place to be. We pray that that's from God. We pray that we're not just doing worldly things, and that's why they like it. But, but in those days, it wasn't like that. Um, in fact, if you were caught to be a Christian, you were either thrown in prison or killed. Um, and uh, they had to do things very... Uh, incognito, maybe would be the word you would use. And um, in Acts chapter 8, Stephen is has just been growing and is learning and understanding, and he goes and, and shares this uh, really powerful sermon. Doesn't quite get done with it, because he gets stoned in the middle of it, but really powerful uh, testimony to what God had done in his life and what Jesus had done living on the earth and in Acts chapter well in Acts chapter 7 is the sermon and he gets stoned at the end of it so he dies he's kind of the first martyr of the church and in Acts chapter 8 verse 1 it says on that day a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria so this is out to the 12 tribes that have been scattered 12 tribes just talking about um, you know, the Israelites who had been scattered um, throughout Judea and Samaria. Uh, it was probably one of the earliest books written as well, one of the earliest epistles, um, anywhere as early as 34 AD, which if you know kind of when Jesus was killed, it was that was anywhere between two and four years after um, Jesus' death and resurrection, all the way up until about 49 AD. Um, and uh, as far as the intent, what's in the book of Proverbs, or not Proverbs, I said Proverbs because James is kind of like the Proverbs of the New Testament. Um, and this is, that's also the reason we're going into it. 
we're continuing the wisdom series into the book of James. Um, the reason it's called the uh, Proverbs of the New Testament is as much like Proverbs in the fact that there are lots of really, really good uh, advice pieces, nuggets that, um, that point us to what a godly life looks like. Um, there's a pastoral intent. There's a there's like kind of um, we've talked a lot about how in Proverbs it's like a father talking to his son, giving him advice for life. Um, a, a feeling like that through throughout the book of James. Um, I would say the only exception to that is that is that instead of like a two line or four line kind of segment of like thought, it's it's usually like a five to six verse segment of thought, and then it moves on to another. Um, the other thing is that it's pointing out what true faith. It uses, in the end of James 1, I believe, true religion. It talks about what true religion looks like. Um, and, uh, and then famously in uh, James chapter 2, talking about faith without works is dead. And we'll have a lot more time to unpack that. Um, but Today, we're going to just keep it simple. We're going to focus on verses 1 through 4. Um, uh, sorry, specifically 2 through 4, 4. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Oh, one, two. There we go. Trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Not lacking anything. So uh, trials of many kinds. The Greek word uh, for this kind of hints towards uh, trials, but temptations. I um, Like temptations in the, in the sense like when we're going through hard times is... is often when we're most likely to sin, when we're most likely to be tempted and, and fall and put our hope in anything else other than God. How do I know this? It's because I experience it all the time. What do I do when I'm the most exhausted? Well, if you know me, I'm either, uh, well, I'm usually going to food, specifically anything sweet. Um, but, uh, but sometimes when I'm like, I'm I'm exhausted of life. I just like I'm just like get me outside. Like I just want to go for a bike ride or I want to do this other thing. Like what are we going to when when life gets hard? What do we what do we what are we immediately drawing from for our life when when we don't feel like we have life within our ourselves? Um, the trials. I like that it says trials of many kinds. So there are more than one kind of trial. We went through the book of Job in the beginning of this, um, and I think it's important to identify the different kinds of trials because uh, we respond to those trials in different ways. Um, if you know the book of Job, uh, Job has this t terrible circumstances. If you guys think you have it bad, uh, you don't know. Um, you don't know what Job went through. I will say you also don't know what these people in the book of James are going through. Us in America um, in 2023 have no idea. the when, when James said, consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds, we're like, yeah, I know. I have these mild inconveniences. You know, even like 
My wife forgets some things sometimes. That's, that's a real trial, and I'm not saying God doesn't care about that, and God cares about what you're going through, but, but like it's a mild inconvenience compared to people who are having to hide and meet with believers in, in hidden places because they could die at any moment. They could have their, their families taken from them, their kids taken from them. And that's not just 2,000 years ago. That's happening in other countries um, where Christianity is not accepted um, today. People are being persecuted today in very real um, and serious ways. So anyways, um, I don't want to go too far off onto that, but trials of many kinds. Um, in the book of Job, Job loses everything. And 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 Job's friends come and they do a great job starting out. They just sit with him and they grieve with him as he's lost his family, his his land, all his everything he owned. He he even was given like these uh, sores, stuff like that, all around his body. So he was in pain physically. Um, the only thing that he was left was his nagging wife. <laughs> People joke about that all the time. I don't know why. That was who was left, but his wife even is like, curse God and die. Why do you keep your integrity? And, uh, and Job's friends, when they start talking, they start saying, you know, it's essentially telling him to repent. And truthfully, it's because they didn't take time to identify the trial that Job was going through. Because sometimes we do face trials, uh, face trials of many kinds. Sometimes we do face trials that have to do with, so why do we face trials? Our own foolishness. And I want to put another one right with it, is God's discipline. Our own foolishness, typically, um, you know, the only reason I kind of lump these two together um, is because, uh, you know, in the Bible it talks a lot about God's discipline and God disciplining those whom he loves, specifically God disciplining his children. Um, and so there's a discipline for those of us who are faithful to God. Um, but, um, but, but our own foolishness is, you know, maybe you could identify that depending on if God is doing it or, or you're doing it or the world's doing it. Truthfully, our own foolishness gets us into trouble sometimes and we face hard times because of it. Um, well, Job's friends come in and they're like, oh, oh you know what? I'm going to use the laser pointer. Oh, it doesn't really work on there. God's discipline, God's discipline is is what's coming on to Job. And so Job, you need to repent and and turn back to God because you must have sinned and therefore you need to repent and then God will, res, you know, restore you and all that. And uh and Job and he's rightfully saying this. He's like, "I didn't I didn't sin to have deserved this." Now Job is like is essentially crying out to God saying, like, give me a reason. Why did you do this? Because I was upright. And, and, and that sounds like an egotistical thing to say, but even God said it in the beginning when the whole ordeal happened, that how, how Job lost everything. So truthfully, the trials of many kind could be because of your own foolishness or God's discipline. So what are some other trials? Because Job wasn't experiencing these trials. Um, I get the hunch that the people that James was communicating to who were being persecuted, it wasn't one of those. 
Now, it could have been in isolated situations. It could have been God's discipline, or it could have been because of their own foolishness. But I get a hunch that it's probably one of these next two. Um, the only uh, friend that Job had that actually had, uh, that, that God acknowledged was a decent, you know, maybe reason for why, was one of these next two. One, Jesus said it would happen. Now, obviously, that wasn't it because Jesus wasn't around when Job was around. Um, but two uh, was that God trusts us to believe despite our trial. Um, you guys have probably heard us talking about The Chosen. Uh, excellent, excellent series about the apostles and really putting life to what these guys were probably going through. Truthfully, the biblical text doesn't give us a lot of character traits about the disciples, and so it helps us kind of become immersed in the story. The Bible doesn't do that as much because the Bible wants you to become immersed with Jesus. doesn't necessarily want you to become immersed with the, with the apostles, but I love this, this story as it puts, puts flesh on what, what were the questions that these apostles were asking as Jesus is coming in and just healing people left and right. And, uh, and in it, um, it's funny because we're talking about James. This is James, the son of Alphaeus. The way they gave him character traits um, was that he, uh, he had like a, a problem with his leg and it was difficult for him to get around. And here he's watching Jesus, his rabbi, go and heal people. I mean, everybody, not turning anyone away, watching him do this left and right. And, he, you know, you, you start to hear it in, in his conversations with the other apostles. It's like, one, he's like, I'm concerned because all these people are just coming and I don't think they would believe if they weren't healed. And I, like, I want them to believe because Jesus is the Messiah. And, but then you also can start to hear that in the way that he's communicating and the fact that it's like, why not me? You know, like I'm going through some hard stuff and, and it really comes to a head uh, in the storyline because if you know the Bible, Jesus does a whole bunch of healing and then what he does is he says, he says, now I want you to go out and I'm going to give you power and authority to, to heal the sick, to cast out demons. And um, right after he has this conversation with all the apostles in this room and they're all like, what? You want us to do what? Like, I don't know. I didn't go to school for that, um, <laughs> uh, which is, does, yeah, it, that, those are what you'd expect to um, have heard. James comes up and has a private conversation with Jesus, and he's like, okay, okay, let me get this right. So you want, you want us to go and heal, and you, you're saying that I have the power and authority to heal people. And, and he says, I find that hard to believe because you haven't healed me. How can somebody who's not healed go and heal? How can somebody who's not healed go and heal? And Jesus says, it's because I trust you. I trust you. How, like, I don't know, like so powerful because how many people need to be healed in order to believe versus he was faithful and trustworthy even when he wasn't healed because he knew that he would be healed one day. In this conversation that he's having with James, you know, um, I'd encourage you just just look up the chosen. I think it's somewhere in season, early as season three that he has this conversation with James. Um, he looks at James after, which is a hard conversation. It's like, 
can you just not trust me and just heal me? Like, I'm not trustworthy, you know? Like, trust me, I'm not trustworthy. Um, James, you know, is a little put back, but he, but he's like, wow, like, Jesus trusts me to believe despite my trial that I've been going through my whole life. Um, Jesus looks at me and he says, James, you will be healed. You will be healed. It's only a matter of time. It's only a matter of time. So you might also be going through a trial because God trusts you. Um, I guess maybe another one within that would be uh, the, the blind man, that the disciples go to Jesus and they say, why was this man born blind? Was it his sin or was it his parents' sin? And Jesus said, no, he, he was born blind so that um, the glory of God might be shown through him. And then Jesus heals him. And um, and what a beautiful story that is. So God might be using um, your uh, your trial um, to bring others to faith. Finally, um, we live in a broken world. We just live in a broken and fallen world. There's sickness, disease, injuries, uh, catastrophic um, natural disasters that happen all over us. Now, um, so these are trials of many kinds. This is not an exhaustive list, as I I was just coming up with more as I said it. Um, not an exhaustive list, but some reasons why. And um, I want to be hesitant to go into this next section because I want to give a solution. But but I want I want you to hear me. If you're going through a trial right now. Sometimes the last thing you need to hear is, here's what you need to do to fix it, right? If I've learned anything about marriage is most times I don't need to go and tell my wife the truth. I just need to be compassionate and care and listen to her. So if you're going through a trial right now, maybe you can just like put some headphones on or something. <laughs> like I, I want to be, be compassionate in the way that I share this. Because um, you might not be in a place where you're really ready to have joy in your trials. Um, and there's a, there's a grief that we experience in the human experience. Um, but truthfully, the basis for what it looks like to have joy through our trials is, is really simple. Come on. Come on. It's going to go like two or three. What's our solution is trusting in God. Wow, Nathan, great Sunday school answer. Trust in God. All your problems will go away. Um, I want to nuance it out a little bit um, because maybe while you were looking at the different trials, the trials of many kinds, maybe you were able to get an idea of of like, you know what, I, I think I think part of the reason my trials are this. I think I think God's testing me. I think I think maybe it is my own foolishness, and maybe I do need to make some changes. Uh, I think it's important to nuance out what does it look like to trust God in those different uh, reasons for why we are facing trials. And so I want we're going to lump a couple of these together. Um, one and two, which were about uh, either it's our own fault or our foolishness that is causing our trial, um, or maybe that it's God's discipline is um is it going to go there we go is trusting in God for our repentance it takes trust to turn from the ways that you believe you're going to receive satisfaction to the ways that God desires for you to be satisfied 
That's hard. It means, it means I think this is what brings me joy in life, and, I, and this is what God says it means to have joy in life. I'm assuming that I'm wrong. That takes some serious trust. Because in a way, I mean, if there's any sense of blind faith, that's where the faith is. The faith isn't that, that like, oh, I'm just making a leap of faith that God is real and that Jesus died on the cross and rose again. We have real evidence for that. Faith comes from, from believing that God's way is better than yours. Because truthfully, our whole lives, we live as though our way is better because we always go to it. And... Now, we might have some examples of how we've gone to it, and then it didn't turn out so good, and then later on we're like, all right, God, maybe you were right. And then it's funny because we do this back and forth. Um, But we trust in God in our repentance that his way is better than our way. Isaiah 30, verse 15 says it really well. Isaiah is talking to this nation that has just been turning away from God continuously in Israel. And he says, this is what the sovereign Lord says the Holy One of Israel. In repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. There is a unique, um, a, a unique way that salvation happens in our repentance, that, that we can be free within our spirit when we, when we cease control and we give it to God. Next one, so that, that's for one and two, trusting in God for our repentance. And that requires something. That requires changing something. If God's disciplining you, he, he's, in, he's trying to push you to go the right way. As a father disciplines his child, wanting him to change the ways he's going in order to follow something new. So uh, that's important. Three and four is about Jesus and uh, because Jesus said it would happen because God trusts you with your trial, trusting that God will make things better one day. I, that's, what, that's the way I said it. It will, your trial will not always be present. But we trust that the process of going through these trials, the, the verse in James says, uh, if you look at your bulletin, it says, the testing of our faith, Right? Face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith, these will, like these trials, will be gone one day, and we trust that they will, and we persevere through. In First Peter, uh, chapter one, verse three and four, it says, talking about God, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. Hope, a living hope. Hope is something that's looking forward, but, but it's called a living hope because, because if it's just about what's ahead, then it's not actually doing something to you now. It's living because it produces a joy in your heart now, even though you have no reason to experience joy right now because you're in a trial. That's why it's a living hope. And that's why we can have joy in our trials. Finally, uh, we live in a broken and fallen world while trusting that God is preparing a new heaven and a new earth for us. Revelation chapter 21 
uh, one through five is one of the most beautiful uh, illustrations of what this will look like. Then I saw, this is John talking, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. Sorry for those of you guys who are into the ocean. I'm just kidding. I don't know. I'm not making a definitive statement on whether the ocean will be in heaven or not. Uh, we're all mountain people here, right? <laughs> I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. We trust that God is preparing a place for us. Uh, not only a place for us, but a place that is much better. I've got to say, much of these things are rooted in a simple concept, and it's a concept that, that we all need to get acquainted with and familiar with and, and, um, and buy into, and that is delayed gratification. Delayed gratification. I wrote this down thinking about like what what if you don't have delayed gratification like what if you can't have joy in the delayed gratification I should rephrase that because um, if you don't have joy in delayed gratification as a Christ follower you're either going to live a life chasing after your own gratification or you're going to be very miserable and doubtful of God's goodness in the midst of your trials. We're all facing trials in our life. Probably through most of your life, you're going to face some trial of some, some way, shape, or form. It might be small, it might be big, but you're going to be facing trials throughout your life. And if you can't learn to have joy in the fact that, that we have delayed gratification as, as Christ followers, uh, you've probably heard us said this before, but the already but not yet reality of the kingdom of God, um, if you can't have joy knowing that one day I'll be healed, one day God will have a new heaven and a new earth, one day there will be no more injustice, if you can't have joy in that, then you're just going to chase after your own gratification, You're gonna, or you're just going to be miserable and doubtful that God is actually good. We have joy in our trials. It's not easy in the mornings for the Jenkins family to have joy in the trials of, uh, of my wife's head injury. I will say it's not easy to have joy in the midst of having two, two, year, or two kids under two either, but, but we have joy in our trials because as the verse in James says, uh, these trials produce in us perseverance, and that perseverance uh, works its way towards maturity, complete maturity. I want to end with this. Um, as a, I think I have a picture here. Um, testing produces perseverance. Perseverance produces maturity. We can find joy in this process. I want to end with this. Now, I, I understand I have a picture of, um, of water, a lake, uh, a unique like mirror. 
but um, that's kind of what I was after. The uh, the Greek word for testing in verse uh, James verse three, James one verse three, I think. Yeah, testing of your faith produces perseverance. The Greek word uh, for testing has to do with the testing of silver. Uh, back in those days, they were still using silver for most of their, uh, you know, coins and stuff like that. And they would test the silver because, you know, different kings or whatever governors would come in and they would they would want to keep more of the silver. And so they would kind of dilute the silver and put impurities in there so that like they're like, oh, yeah, it's a silver coin. We have just as much silver, but it's not actually as much silver. And it went from like 99 percent silver to like 95 percent silver and then worked its way down. Um, so, uh, they would test silver by heating it up. And when you heat up silver, obviously, eventually it melts at a certain temperature. And, uh, the way the, the silver works and the properties of it, um, any impurities of the silver would rise to the surface. And so the process of testing, they would heat it up, they would, uh, they would rise to the surface and you'd scoop off the impurities and then, and then they would repeat that process until there was like nothing coming up. And, and the way that uh, this, the silversmith would, would know that their silver was pure was they would look down at it and they would see their reflection. And um, what a beautiful way that the testing of our faith, as we're, as we're going through these trials, it, it scoops up. There's a way, like I was saying, that, that when we face trials, the the icky impurities of our life comes to the surface and and it allows us to uh for God, or it allows God to to swipe that away and remove those impurities and and slowly over time as he as he removes those impurities for him to look down and see his reflection because the goal of of being a Christ follower is to be a perfect reflection of who God is to the world. We want to be a perfect reflection of who God is. So the testing, the trials of our life might might remove those impurities and remove those impurities and remove those impurities so that we might be that reflection. What a beautiful analogy. If you if you watch the James series, I stole that from Francis Chan. But but um, man, what a what a what a lofty goal, first of all, to try to attain. But but what a what a great hope that like God is using these trials. He's using it even if you're being a fool and you're perceiving your consequences for. It. Truthfully, God is going to use your foolishness. God is going to use his discipline. God is using the ways in which he's trusting you to go through these trials. God is using the, the ways that we might be persecuted for our faith. God is using these trials to test us and to make us pure and holy. The book of James is all about us. Not, it's not about us living a happy life, but a holy life. Let's be a reflection of Jesus to the world. If you're here and you, you know, there's many of you I know who've been here and you're like, I, I, I'm with you. I get that process. I've been working at it and it's hard because when Jesus scoops those 
impurities away. It's hard because those impurities, we want to hold on to them. They're nice. They don't do the delayed gratification. They do the instant gratification thing. And then they're kind of like delayed suffering. <laughs> we want those impurities a lot. So that process of swiping away is hard. And so you know that. So lean in. Continue to lean in and have joy in those, in those trials and sufferings. But if you're here and you're like, man, I don't know that I've ever thought about God in this way. I don't know that if I've ever thought about using trials for, for my growth and, and, and ability to know God more, or to be more of his reflection. I want to encourage you, uh, one, to talk to someone who, who you've come with or talk to one of us um, about what, what a relationship with Jesus looks like. What does it look like to go through that process of removing the impurities so that we can truly be a reflection of God to the world? And I want to encourage you to, to choose. It's a choice. Just like repentance is a choice, it's not just like I'm just going to wander into turning. It's a choice to say I'm going to go from my way to God's way. I'm going to turn, literally a 180 degree turn. If that's you this morning, I want to encourage you to turn from your ways to God's ways. And the Bible's clear that those who repent and trust in Jesus will be saved. Will be saved. Let's pray. Lord, um, we thank you for James. We thank you uh, just for his willingness to be open and honest about what it looks like to live a life of holiness what it looks like to have joy in our sufferings and our trials, and what it looks like to be a reflection through the testing of our faith, that we can be a reflection of you. Lord, help us to do that because truthfully, the reflections of each other, when I'm just reflecting my own personality to the world, it usually doesn't turn out that good. God, I want to be a reflection of you. Help me to do that. Help me to reflect the characteristics, the sacrifice, the forgiveness, the love of my enemies that Jesus showed by dying on the cross. Help us. We love you, Lord. Uh, help us to dig into the book of James and what you have to teach us through it. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. We here at Loon Mountain Ministry are committed to loving God serving community, and enjoying mountains. We want to thank you for being a part of our collective high five this week as we seek to be a light in the White Mountains and all around the world. Please feel free to reach out to us at info at loonmtnministry.com so we can get more connected. See you guys.